0: Uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the In the Beginning podcast. My name is George Gray. I'm your host, and I'm here with my uh, my friends. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves here just in just a second, but this is Dan Moser, Abel Larkin, and uh, and Serge Kilat. Did mm-hmm. I say that correctly? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was either that or Kila, and that just sounded very gangster, and I didn't want to go there. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we are um, re-recording a section of, uh, of a podcast we did a little while ago because... Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I lost all the audio from it. So it wasn't quite as cool as it uh, it was. And, you know, it was only like two hours worth of stuff. So it's not like it, you know, was was difficult. But we've had a dry run. So now we get to go in and, and redo these things. And basically what we're doing is we are answering questions that have been sent in by, uh, by listeners. And um, I want to uh, uh, kind of revisit these because these are all good. Uh, and it's important for us to be able to ask questions, and then get answers um, so that we are more equipped for our faith to be an- to be able to answer the questions of the day. And so, this is kind of what we're doing. And so, very quickly, I will let everyone kind of introduce themselves a little bit, who they are, what they do, starting with Mr. Mosier.
1: Yes. Uh, so, I am, um, as you said, Dan Mosier. I have been attending River Life Church here for uh, approximately 17 years before that, um, my basic upbringing was at a local Mennonite church, which I, um, like I said before, very good, sound doctrinal teaching, and that's where I was raised, um, been in church my whole life. I work on a local family dairy farm.
2: Cool. Uh, I'm Abel Larkin. I'm the assistant pastor at River of Life Fellowship. Uh, before that, I attended... Uh, another local church that uh, varied between charismatic and charismaniac um, depending on the year. Um, I'm also a local high school math teacher, so I'm here to balance out George with a little bit of logic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Serge.
3: Um, Serge Keller, I'm, I'm a church member here. Um, come from a more conservative uh, Christian background, uh, rooted in Eastern um, Orthodoxy. And uh, uh, a lot of stuff was uh, drawn from the Old Testament. A lot of rituals, a lot of uh, 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 more legalistic stuff. So, uh, coming into a, a more Bible-based church was a uh, really refreshing and uh, more freedom. And uh,
0: mm-hmm. well, that's awesome. All right, so let's dive into our questions tonight, and uh, with. Uh uh, so we're picking up from. There's a. There's part one is already available online. You can go ahead and watch that. Uh, we dealt with the questions. Um, uh, is it possible to lose your salvation? And then I think we. Uh, uh, what was the second one we did there? Uh, uh, not multiple sins, but only one. Oh yes, yeah, so only the one sin, sin of mistaken
2: <laughs> identity. Mm.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Just, uh, it was just, just so awkward. Some of these. Um, so, but this is a takeoff of the uh, kind of a pairing off of the other one about uh, the, the last question we did in part one, and it was, does the Bible say that sin separates us from God? And so, uh, in short, obviously, I think the answer is yes, because it actually doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, time to look through scripture and, and find find the evidence. So, a couple of quick scriptures here. We got Isaiah 59, 1-2. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is it, is his ear, uh, too deaf to hear you call, your sins have cut you off from God. <laughs> because of your sins, he has turned away and does not listen to you anymore. That's, that's pretty, pretty, pretty clear, pretty simple. Um, Romans 1, 21, 24, uh, let's see, says, uh, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools and instead of worshiping the glory, uh, the glorious, ever-living li- uh, ever God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever their shame, uh, shameful things, whatever shameful things were in their hearts. As a result, they did vile, integrating things with each other's bodies. God abandoned them. Mm-hmm. He walked away. He left. Uh, and my probably, and I add, actually added this in the first time we, uh, we re-recorded this, uh, Matthew 7, 21, 23, because I think this is an important thing that uh, in the church we need to understand, is um, Jesus is talking to people who believe that they're believers, right and he says, not everyone who calls to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my Father uh, in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name, but I will reply... I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Cast them out. Does our sin separate us from God? Heck yeah. Um, so, but here's the thing I want to I I talk about. So there's a couple different views on this. Um, one of the problems that we have today is that, is the idea of sin being real. So a huge issue in the church today is progressivism. Um, not so much uh, atheism wandering into church, but going beyond scriptural doctrine and trying to make sense of what we see in today's world um, based on our own feelings, our own emotions, our own wants and desires. And so the progressive church basically looks at it this way, um, that sin is only sin if it's sin for you, or if the majority of people agree that something is bad. And so the, the flip side of that is they don't like the idea of sin because if sin is real, then you have the right to be certain about what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And in the progressive church, certainty is not allowed because they believe you can't be certain about anything. You can't be certain about heaven. You can't be certain about hell. You can't be certain about good or bad. Um, But if sin is real, then there is a definitive right and wrong. Um, If sin is real, then there's a standard by which we will all be judged. And the thing that irritates people the most is that that standard by which we will be judged is outside of our control or influence. We have no say in it. Mm -hmm. It's simply imposed on us by an outside force, so to speak. Um, And they they don't like that. Uh, They don't like that at all. Um, Well,
2: you can can make the argument real easily that... um, Sin is only what's sinful for you. Like, your sinner is different than mine um, if you do what we like to do so often, which is take some Scripture out of context. Mm-hmm. And so when you said that, the first verse that came to mind for me was uh, in Romans 14. At the end of the chapter, um, Paul's talking about um, not causing offense with what we eat and drink. And he says, uh, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So, if you don't believe it's right for you, then it's not right for you to do. The problem is, is they make the, the basic logical fallacy of applying an always to a sometimes or, a, or an everything to a something. Uh-huh. And so they say, okay, whatever isn't from faith is sin. Whatever you think you can't do, you can't do. And, and then they say, and only those things that you can't do, you can't do. So if you think you can do them, if you think it's all right to do, then it's all right to do. Mm. Well, that's, that's not what the scripture says. Because the scripture would never contradict itself, we have to look back at all of the other laws that were given, all of the other standards that were given, and Paul's just making a point about how our conscience conscience convicts us and corrects us in those things that aren't
0: clear in Scripture. Yep. So just because something is uh, not clearly defined as a sin in Scripture, if someone feels bad about it, right? Then, then when Paul says it is a sin for them, yes, then. Forcing that on someone actually can create difficulty in their life and can lead them back to, to mm-hmm. sin. It's kind of like when people get get away from alcoholism, right? You know, but I don't have a like. I, I grew up with alcoholics in in my, in my family. I've never had a problem with alcohol. Still, don't have anyone today. So, if I were to look at someone and say, you know, toughen up, you know, what what what's your problem? You know, weak people have problems with alcohol. I can take someone and lead them back into alcoholism, right. and put them in a prison by f- imposing my freedom.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a sad thing, Dan. You look like you got something on your mind.
1: So I ran across something on uh, uh, YouTube today, and I thought this would be the place to ask the question to you guys. Um, uh, so a, a young man um, asked his father. The young man was in a homosexual lifestyle, and he said to his father, "You know, as a Christian, each one of us can say that we sin." Somewhat on a regular basis? Why can't he be in a homosexual lifestyle realizing that it's wrong, but you're still, we're, we're being forgiven for our sins on a regular basis? Uh-huh. So, how does that separate us from God from me maybe telling a half-truth to my life wife and him? Uh-huh. It's, it's, I don't feel like I'm being separated from God that much by, okay, I should have did this better, but.
3: That's an ongoing, unrepented sin. I think there's a difference. That's that's the, that is the difference. Yeah, yeah. I think if a person is willingly choosing to continue in a certain habitual sinful behavior, regardless of them, they're kind of disregarding their conscience.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I I don't think that is the, the same as. Uh, realizing you're going 65 in a, in a 60. Right, right. And yeah. quickly, okay.
2: Yeah, and, and they're, they're ignoring a key facet of, of salvation, which is repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and repentance isn't apologizing, although apologizing is part of repentance. Repentance is a willful turning away from sin, mm-hmm. and continuing to live in that lifestyle is not repentant. It's,
0: it's not walking in the salvation that Christ has given us. Yeah, the Greek word, retranslate, repent, literally means to change your mind. Yep, metanoia. Yep, and the, uh, you, you think about all the things associated with it. So when you find, when you find anything like homosexuality, especially through, throughout Scripture, one of the things that you're going to find is that the mental point of it, or the attraction of it, is never listed as sin. It's the action. Mm-hmm. Women forsaking natural uh, natural processes in laying with another woman as with a man, or two men laying with one another as, as in a woman. It's the action. People try to justify it by focusing on the attraction. Well, see, the Bible doesn't say the attraction is sin. No, it doesn't. It says the action is sin. It's kind of like, but, uh, but when you, at the same time, when you take into consideration, Jesus says, if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery. If you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder. It's those those things where Jesus is saying, you know what? the the action is judged, but the heart is just as guilty. And so the difference is, if I were to look at another woman lustfully and I know it, I have the opportunity to repent. Yes, I, I have done this. Um, if I look at someone with with hatred in my in my heart, I know it's a sin. I can repent. But when people say, God should love me because I'm in a committed monogamous homosexual relationship? No. That's like saying, God should love me because I only murder bad people. Uh, No. (laughs) It's still, there's no difference. I only steal from the rich. Great, that worked for Robin Hood. It It does not work for anything else. So it's that idea, exactly what Serge was saying, that knowing that what you're doing is wrong, but then deciding that it's right and doing it anyway. You're determining for God what is what His standards are. That's that whole idea. Yes, you know you can you can struggle with homosexuality your whole life. That we had um, uh, uh, Gary Ingram here, and he's yep. you know he was, uh, he was longtime longtime homosexual. He 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 he's very plain when he says, you know what? He still has struggles in, in this area with homosexual attraction, and he's very careful to say. Attraction, because he knows he can never allow himself to go down that road anymore. Uh, you remember um, Gary Colson, I can't remember his name, he wrote this book, Single Gay Christian. And one of the things... Dave Colson. Dave Coles, yes. Um, one of the things he wrote in there was that he did so much research trying to find a way to make it right. And, and he, is, he is basically openly homosexual at this point. Mm-hmm. And he, he admits... He cannot find anywhere in Scripture where, where that becomes right. He, he just can't. So he thinks, in his mind, a celibate homosexual is right with God. What he refuses to do is come to the point where he realizes this heart condition I have is sinful and I need to repent of it daily. He won't go there. He, he doesn't, doesn't see that as wrong. It's no different than me hating someone or, or somebody lusting after someone or viewing pornography on a regular basis. Hey, you know what? It's just women holding down a job, and I'm just supporting them. I don't see the problem. You know, it's not like I'm touching anything. No, but I want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's, there's no difference there. So we keep trying to separate out these little minutiae things that God doesn't allow. And that's the, it, it's unfortunate. But that's, that's that whole idea that, yes, you can struggle with something, and be right with God, but the point is you're struggling. You're and, still in the fight.
1: And we, I mean, we are using homosexuality as an example. It could mm-hmm. be a variety of things. And I don't want to go too far down a rabbit trail, but what is the church's responsibility when you see someone, whatever sin you want to put down, they're not repentant of that sin. Um, you know, they're, just pick, pick a sin, but mm-hmm. they're not repentant. At what point do you say, okay, this sin is too... Obviously, sexual sins, the church has always disciplined, but what about more
3: minor sins, if, if that's the correct term?
0: Yeah, Unrepentant think, behavior is unrepentant behavior.
3: I think the goal of the church is the same. The message of the church remains the same in a sense that we are preaching a repentance from sin and belief in Christ in order for the, for the sin to be rep remedied for the relationship to be restored i think that it has to be the message continuously obviously loving these people but the message has to be the same and i think because that's the only way that <clears throat> that was the message that that uh apostles um preached in the acts that that's what they did basically they just uh, repent for kingdom of, of god is at hand and um praying for people and allowing the Holy Spirit to touch them so they are actually convinced after the message is preached. Yeah. I, think, I think when
2: it comes to the church's responsibility, although every sin has the same eternal consequence in that it separates us from God, it, 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 it leads us down a path of destruction, not every sin has the same earthly consequence. And not every sin, I think for that reason, is, is or should be treated the same way, nor should every person so I'll give an example. Let's, let's, let's consider an alcoholic. Suppose I, as the assistant pastor, was an open alcoholic. The church has a responsibility to take me out of that position as assistant pastor so that I don't do any damage to the people around me. That's different than somebody out there in the congregation who's a regular attender who struggles with alcohol or who is an alcoholic. Yeah. Who are they doing the damage to? If they're, if they're damaging themselves, well, then the best place for them to be is right here. If they're damaging the church, it is the responsibility of the leadership to protect the body and to find another place for that person. Mm -hmm. And and we are instructed in Scripture, Paul does say to expel that immoral brethren, hand them over to Satan so they may be taught not to blaspheme, so they may be taught not to claim to be a Christian when they're not walking as one.
0: Yeah, And they're turned over for the sake of their soul. For the sake of their soul. So we're talking
3: about a believer that's an ongoing sin. You are referring to a... A yes, person a that's believer a believer. Yeah, that okay.
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are times where the church it just accepts that this person has this issue, and you love that person as much as you can. Yep. And then there are times where you just simply you you have to ask that person to leave. You know, um, when you know you get someone. Say you have someone in the church who is just just completely immoral and and is just jumping from from one married bed to another. I've known people like this. You know, just just compl- just just making their way around the church, and people knew, people yeah. knew, and said nothing. It's like, well, you know, it's our job to love that person. Y- yes, and sometimes the best way to love them is to kick them right out the door, so yep. they understand that this is not acceptable.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, but that's that's the challenge. Where is that cutoff? You know, uh, versus someone, and you know, you got the other side of that coin where you got, um, you, you see a, this happen a lot, and uh, especially uh, modern, uh, I would say charismatic more you know uh, more protestant denomination churches you get a young couple in the church and they're maybe late high school and they're not married yet and the girl ends up pregnant and more often than not the girl is removed from the church and the boy is 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 allowed to stay or the boy is kicked out of the church and the poor unfortunate girl is there to stay so we end up demonizing one half of the equation while embracing the other where in reality they both did the exact same thing just one has more longer lasting consequences you know it's just it's just it's it's unfortunate but it,
2: and really best case scenario is that you keep them in the church and you you teach them how to be responsible parents and spouses and mm-hmm. you you raise them into that yep. instead we we are too we're we're simultaneously too quick and too slow sometimes to push people away, uh, and, and to force them into the correction that
3: they need. Yeah. So, so, internal sense: is there such? If we have time, is there such thing as degrees of sin? In in a, mm-hmm. somebody who robbed one bank versus somebody who says robbing one is the same as robbing twenty.
0: Yeah. Is, is
3: there any scriptural background to say
0: okay? Yeah. There's. There's. I can't remember the passage, maybe you can look it up, but where you talk about the person who is doing something wrong, they may enter the kingdom of heaven, but basically by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, there's enough text in Scripture to let you know that there are some things that are plainly wrong mm-hmm. that we would call sin, but they don't keep you from heaven. You know, um, and the, really silly example. You're um, driving someone to the hospital, Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're, they're hurt, and you're doing 85 in a 30. Mm-hmm. You get to an accident and die. Well, Scripture says follow the law of the land, Yes. and you didn't. So now you get to heaven. You know, I'm sorry you had repented. You had a Christian life, mm-hmm. but you know what? You were speeding on the way to the hospital, so you're, you're not allowed in. That's not the way that works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's but it kind of goes back to that same, same question, where is that line? I don't want to play with that line. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even want to pretend that they're, that I don't even want to recognize that the line exists, <laughs> you know, because someone is going to want to know where that line is yes. so that they can get as close to it as possible.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think at that point, you get someone with that attitude, they're already over the line,
3: yeah.
0: you know. Yeah. But I think there's, there's grace, but grace is not something that you, um, uh, that your actions should expect. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. once that happens, you know, well, I, and you know what, I'm, I, you know, I might steal this, but I'll repent later. Right. Yeah, I don't think it works that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a vending machine, you know. You just, you know, you go home and you, and you, you, know, you pray your rosary and you're all good. That's yes. not how that works, mm-hmm. you know. But. I think that's kind of a, a
2: pharisaical mindset that they're, they're, they honor me with their words, but their, their hearts are far from me. You know, that's somebody who doesn't really want to mm-hmm. serve the Lord. That's somebody who wants to serve themselves, but, yep. you know, have a little fire insurance on the side. Well, exactly. I think yeah. I think the verse you're thinking of uh, is in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, when it's talking about the foundation that's built, uh, built, and they're all tested, whether it's uh, of gold, silver, precious stones. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, they receive a, war- a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, that means their work, their, their work actions were subpar. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So just like, just made it out. Yeah. Um, but are there degrees? No, but I think that there are different dangers to
1: them. Well, um, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, separating us from our walk with God. And, and the Bible, yep. one thing that's so beautiful about the Bible is it constantly refers to our relationship with God as a marriage. Mm -hmm. and and I I can go back to my marriage if I am my wife comes home and she asks me a question and I give her a moody response well that's going to give us a little bit of separation not married anymore (laughs) (laughs) that's not true once married always married (laughs) Um, but if she comes home (laughs) if she comes home and and, and,
2: (laughs) okay that's not helping
1: and says something I don't like and I beat her well, obviously, there's a greater degree of separation yeah, there. Yeah. Um, both are wrong, yep. but there's a degree, I
2: believe, when, yes. when you see it as a marriage, our relationship with God. Yeah. I, th- I think you look at them almost as, as building materials, like building a wall out of rocks. And when you come home with a moody response, you, you're stacking some, some smaller rocks along there. And over time, they build up into a great big barrier. Yeah. Whereas you come home and and like you said you beat her not not that you do but in, in that instance you're throwing a big boulder in there and you're creating a huge
1: right
0: um, barrier between the two of you yep. uh, it takes yeah. a lot longer to remove those barriers than it does absolutely the little things but yeah so now this is this idea to you know sin separatists from God now now we talked about you know people outside the church and then but there's this idea of does God know you before you get saved I know that probably sounds weird. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that came up was, do do you have to be saved in order for God to actually know who you are? Um, Now, it's it's a real obvious no. Uh, That's not the way that works. Jeremiah 1, 5, I knew you before I formed you in the mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, obviously, that's talking specifically to Jeremiah about his appointment as a prophet. But God doesn't put people together in the womb uh, you know, uh, discriminately. He's not you know, like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll make you good, but this person, no. You know, that person is just left up to genetics. That's not how that works. You know, he knows all of us. Uh, what is it, not a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know it?
1: It could be one of those things that in translation we use the same word "new" in both references, but yeah. I wonder if the Hebrew is actually a different word. Uh, well, this would be Greek.
0: Greek. Yes, yeah, would be Greek. Uh, and in the context of the passage, what what it seems to you more is, I never knew you as a believer. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a difference between knowing God and Christ, knowing you as as one yeah. of the saved. Yeah. You know, um, and it, 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 there's so there's a difference between there's a difference between pursuing the promises of Christ and pursuing Christ and receiving the promises. Do You understand what I mean by that? Absolutely. Yeah, but I think there's a there's a large percentage of the church today that does not teach that.
3: They pursue the they, promises. They pursue
0: the promises. You need to you know you need to activate your power in Christ. You need to take authority over this, and it's 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 about speaking in tongues and accessing gifts, and 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 all of these outward manifestations of things that have zero meaning when it comes to knowing God.
2: Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, even as human beings we represent or we, we recognize different ideas of knowing right uh-huh. like like we were we were talking about a guy uh earlier that you had a conversation with mm-hmm. okay I know who he is and, and I could tell you some things about him I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with him, and if you ask him, he may know me to probably the same degree, mm-hmm. but I don't really know the guy like I know George or yeah. like I know my wife mm-hmm. know who he is but there's that intimate knowledge of somebody that you've mm-hmm. spent a lot of mm-hmm. time around. You know their character, um, and you, um, you trust and, and know each other like mm-hmm. we do with our wives. That's, that's a big difference in knowing mm-hmm. um, that we could be seeing here in this scripture.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Cool. I lost track of what question we're on.
1: It was the same one. <laughs> we've got um, through one. We've got
0: through one. It's good. Seven more to go. Um, so this kind of tags on to the idea of sin and, and the process of redemption. But why do we ask Jesus into our hearts and is it biblical? So there were a bunch of other questions that came on with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, does a sinner's prayer save? Why do we say it? You know, do we have to say it? Um, um, why do we make a confession of faith? And if Jesus died for the sins of all, why is universalism wrong? So it kind of all rolls into that same idea of this, this process of not saved one minute, saved the next kind of, kind of a thing. Like, what is that process? Um, so, Are we going to mute Dan's mic on this? Let's marry our anyway. This is so fantastic. Um, so here, here's a couple of things that I, that I, 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 I put down with this. Um, some of them, I think, I brought up last time, but we'll we'll see. Um, let's see. Uh...
3: Let's define where is this found. Where are these people drawing the 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 biblical reference of re- asking Jesus in the heart? Maybe so. There,
0: you? the it's taken from a couple different places. So the okay. the place where this note most commonly comes from is Romans ten. So if mm-hmm. you read um, uh, Romans ten nine, is the one that everyone. That kind of goes back through. So that if you confess with your mouth that uh, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what has happened um, when you have things like the five spiritual laws and Romans Road mm-hmm. um, and these, these these processes of salvation that mm-hmm. churches have used for you know decades, mm-hmm. um, what ends up happening is when you take this passage of scripture, um, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Okay, so there's a there is a confession that has to take place, mm-hmm. so it is a vocal confession, and then there is an inward. There's an inward faith that has to be there, and so that, in order to fulfill that process, it really involves discipleship. You you cannot grow someone's faith internally without also growing their understanding of of The knowledge a of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what has happened was, the, especially in like, you think like the, the late 70s, 80s, and early 90s, there was this huge evangelism push all over the place. But the problem is, the evangelism push was not built around discipleship. It was built, unfortunately, around the Billy Graham model, I'm which pretty. was Crusades. Mm-hmm. And so you would hold these monstrous events... And then you would have these altar calls, and people would come up to the altar call, and like, what do you do? What, what, what happens? You know, I can remember, how many of you guys remember Acquire the Fire? You know, teen, teen mania, you've never been to one? And uh, it was the same thing. You know, the whole idea was the first night was to get everyone crying as hard as possible. You know, it was like this huge emotional appeal. Oh, it did work. Yeah, they were really good at it. This monstrous emotional appeal of how pathetic you are and how much you needed God, and it would, it would wreck you. Um, and then you ha- you would uh, uh, you would come back to uh, to this idea of repentance, which in theory is great, but the problem is when these people get to the altar, what do you do you can 't disciple someone at an altar, mm-hmm. so what would happen is we would come up with these prayers of repentance, and eventually it was you know basically given the name the sinner 's prayer mm-hmm. and people that were excited about evangelism would have this idea that if you if you get someone to say the sinner's prayer, well, because of God's faithfulness, obviously He's going to do the rest. And so there was no discipleship; There's, that that process just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so you would you would end up like you'd go to these crusades and you would end up, um, uh, you know, go into the altar and um, say the sinner's prayer, and then they would like take you out back and like give you this like little New Testament, and you're like, great. You should find a local church, and like, poof, and that was it. You were just kind of released back into the wild. It was really weird. Um, but you'd have all these people who felt like they had known something, mm-hmm. but they, they didn't know anything. And unfortunately, the evangelical church is the lead culprit in this. Mm-hmm. We have been horrible at discipleship for as, on, as long as I can remember. Ironic you know. for an evangelical, yeah, yeah, church. exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, so that was that was the basic idea is that you get people to confess their faith, but at the same time, uh, confess with their mouth. But they would confess with their mouth that they needed a Lord, not necessarily that Jesus is Lord. Because there's there's in in this passage in Romans, there's something very very significant about the, the idea that Jesus is Lord. And the language is, it's not that Jesus is Lord in heaven. It's Jesus is King of my life. Mm-hmm. He rules. His His word is absolute. His standards are my standards. His His word is what is going to come out of my mouth. That's it. I live for nothing other than what my King desires of me. Mm-hmm. That's Lordship. Try to explain that to people in the church today. They'd be like, "Oh, Jesus is Lord." Then you explain to them what "Lord" means, they're just like, "Yeah, I don't know if he's like, you know, like, like capital L Lord. You know, like you can be lowercase Lord, but that's that's that that yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not comfortable with the rest of that. Well, and the problem
2: is with a lot of these phrases, they get they get said so often, and it, they've been around so long that they become almost cliche. Oh yeah. And the other danger with cliches is not just that they become trite, but that we start to lose their meaning. Uh, and we start to misunderstand and misinterpret. Like uh, you know, I teach high schoolers, and there's so many things that we've said I don't for I don't know how many years that they just don't get anymore. I said something about the pot calling the kettle black. Like, are you racist? Like, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> yeah. Those are the cast means. iron cooking implements, and.
3: Uh... <laughs> I think term can be possibly used as long as it's used within the context mm-hmm. of the presenting the true gospel or actually what you're saying of that discipleship. Right. Yeah. You know, if person starts with that and that's maybe a response to a true preaching, mm-hmm. um, maybe in that context rather than an, an emotional response to, a, um, I don't know what you said, convince yep. them that they're, they suck. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. And, and you, you think about it, there's nothing wrong with saying the sinner's prayer. Yes. I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of Reformed churches that are like, the sinner's prayer is the worst thing that ever happened to the church. No, it's not. Mm. <laughs> no, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. The problem is you can't stay there. Yes. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's got to be more, there has to be more to it. And it's the responsibility of the one who leads that person to the Lord to help move that in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise,
2: asking Jesus into our heart becomes kind of like a spiritual defibrillator. Yeah, like he's in there for when we die. Mm-hmm. Okay. the The problem is, is if we don't
0: change our lifestyle, the thing's not going to be able to save us, regardless. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So, yeah. But, and there's people like, like John MacArthur hates the hates the saying like "ask Jesus into your heart." Like it makes his skin crawl. It's like a visceral reaction to him. The the and and I get it. I understand why. It's an overused. Um, uh, it, it's an overused term in the evangelical church, but like his reaction to it is as unbalanced is as their as our usage of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he he looks at us because the church has this history; it should never be used ever. But that same um, uh, standard is never applied to them. Of their own families, which there are plenty, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's kind of like rules for thee, not for me, kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, if we were to be able to look at this, you know, throw rocks on the inside of the house, so to speak, we should be able to look at this and say, okay, so there there is nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer. There's nothing wrong with the idea of asking Jesus to 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 come into your heart, to indwell you. Mm-hmm as long as you understand what it is you're saying, what it is you're asking, and what the follow-up is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where we've lost, uh, I think that's where we kind of lost the argument, on, the, on this side of the fence anyway. Mm-hmm. So you what know? are they
3: proponents of? Well, let's say um, a reform, they're saying, okay, we don't want that at all. What, what is yep. their way of how do you get, go about
0: Well, part, part, of it, yeah, part of it is that if you were meant to be saved, you will be saved, <laughs> Oh, here we go. Well, it's chapter it, 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 it's very yeah. True. It very much is the mm-hmm. is the, is election that if you hear the gospel mm-hmm. and, and you and you are you were you know pre-selected from the foundations mm-hmm. of the earth, then you will be saved. But at the same time, we're supposed to evangelize, which I find humorous at, at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you when you think about it, it's more along the lines of straight up teaching. If you if you watch the full services in Re, in Reformed churches and 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 honestly almost universally Reformed churches, um, in certain areas, um, yeah, I don't know how much the Mennonite Church fits into the to the Reformed category. Where it it's they pretty would, close? No,
1: they would. Um, they're not Calvinist in the mm-hmm. sense that you have a choice of your salvation, mm-hmm, or right. at least that's what I was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, there, there are some. I mean, we, we've we've talked about this. There are people who like if you say something something negative about anything that John MacArthur says, it's like like you're a, you're an unrepentant heretic that that cannot be saved, you know, kind of a thing. Um, which is which just just makes me laugh, you know, because um, I just tell them I was pre chosen from the foundations of the earth to have that belief, and then and then <laughs> and there's nothing you can and do then about there's nothing it. I can <laughs> do about it. I, uh, I've tried. I just I just I just I've, can't move there. <laughs> I've
1: never been in a Calvinist church, but I would assume there at some point would be an offer to the congregation or people mm-hmm. to come up and receive salvation. The terminology, I don't know what that would be. Yeah. I don't know if they would say asking Jesus into your heart because that was what was always used. But I think they would have a discipleship mindset when they and do it. That's exactly it. Um, yep. To go back to the Billy Graham thing, um, you know, I would think how would you run a crusade? You can't disciple people running a crusade. You're exactly. going to stop, to stop, to stop. But a crusade has a value to it. Yep. You know. I, I, oh, absolutely. And so yep. I, I think there was some uh, 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 trashing of what Billy Graham was doing when he was such a great leader of, yes. of the yep. Christian church. Yeah. So I, I don't know what was right, what was wrong, what could have been done different. You're stopping at a place, you're preaching a sermon, you're asking people to come forward. A little bit yeah. is, is on that person's
2: responsibility to yeah. then get plugged in. Yeah. It's also, on the, it's also part of the responsibility of the local churches to engage with that and yeah. connect. Yeah.
0: Uh, One of the things that Billy Graham did really well was his team would reach out to local churches, and they would send people to these crusades to try to, try to follow up with them. But the, the problem is the people that tried to reproduce it didn't reproduce that part. Yes. You know, it was... It was I remember we used to do Soldier Song. Um, and there was always somewhere around like seven. if I get right? About seven hundred people would come to the Lord after after a soldier yeah. after a soldier song play. And uh, um, uh, I, I wish you could have been around to see it. I think you would have really liked it. You would have made yeah. a good Jesus, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, if Jesus if, spoke. Am, am, the am kind I, of am I wrong? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, well, well I don't know. It's not a bad thing. Not a lot of lines. No, that's true. Um, but. <laughs> thanks, um, the, uh, we would do these follow-ups. And so I was asked to handle follow-up one year. I was never in the play. It was not something that I was ever going to be any good at. Um, but I did the follow-up, and I contacted, uh, at that time, 150 churches in the Jefferson-Lewis County area mm-hmm. and asked them, can we send... And this is exactly how it happened. Can we send people to you? I will send you their phone numbers. I will send you their contact information um, they're going to be in your area. Uh, you know, we'll try to hook them up with you. They're going to know that you're calling. I mean, that was <laughs> yes. part of the follow-up at the altar. Yep. Yeah. Almost every single church wanted to know why we would do that. Yep.
1: Mm.
0: What, what, are you, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to push these people over to us? Like, we're doing an outreach. These are new Christians. I'm trying to connect them with a church in the area. Well, and a few of the churches are like, yeah, we don't, we don't do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you, you, you don't try to connect with new believers to help them grow in their faith? What is your mission statement? You, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was genuinely weird. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, we know in this area, we've, we've got a long standing history of not playing well together. Yeah. You know, we would love to do things. It's, it's changing very much so. And, uh, but I, th- I think that there's, a, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in that area. But that's that. That, that whole idea that it's the discipleship that that has to be the focus. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make converts. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. A disciple is a, is a dedicated student. You know, and, that's, that, that's that process.
1: And, and this is, and I don't know who I'm offending as far as people that are going to watch this, but this is what absolutely angers me about the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. Of the, you were baptized, you're a member of the Catholic Church, you're good. Yep. And, and how many people are, I'm a good person, I'm a member of the Catholic Church, yep. marching yep. to hell. Yeah. I have people that I know that I, I care very much about, and that was their response. Yep. 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 At least they're not still selling indulgences.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> are, they, are they, though? <laughs> you know? It's it's it really is sad when you when you start thinking about that. You know, I don't need I don't need to go to church. I was baptized when I was when I was a baby. It, you're a womanizing alcoholic, and you think like to, because your parents well even you're as a baby, even you're wonderful family men
1: who take care of their wife and kids and stuff yep. they're not going to heaven either because yep. there's no relationship. They're part of a church,
3: but yep. that tells you how strong cultural traditional pull is in Boy, a lot yeah. of areas. We can see that in a, in a in a. Uh, Pharisees dealings with Christ, yeah. we can see that these men are more persuaded by following tradition and and fear of stepping out of it trumps mm-hmm. the fact that Savior is right in front of them. I, obviously we deal with that similar today yeah. there is a fear of sh- shunning from community there's a fear of you know being rejected, being pointed out as a Bible thumper or yep. I think that sometimes plays bigger role on people than maybe even a conviction that um, what you are telling them is hundred percent true.
2: Well, it's it's because the most effective lies have a core of truth in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just deception wrapped around the truth, mm-hmm. and, and and quite often that's what they did. They they take some tenets of of the faith. They take some things that we actually do. We actually believe that are biblical baptism and. Um, uh, p- prayer and and things like that, and we say, "Okay, you've done this. That's enough," and we throw out the rest.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's something the enemy is extremely good at. He he gives us just enough truth to make us feel comfortable enough to swallow the lie. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But we're following counterfeit. Yeah. It's like taking that magic pill coated in chocolate makes it go down better. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not going there. I'm not, it's way too easy. <laughs> I did some research
3: on this, and, and one of the verses that came up is from uh, uh, Ephesians three seventeen. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts mm. as you trust in Him. That was one of the beside your Romans ten. Yep. That is one of the uh, root um, verses for this. But it looks like Paul is already addressing believers that already mm-hmm. have yes. Christ. In their hearts:, yep. um, not necessarily a person that doesn't know him.
0: Yeah Well, and at the same time, you have uh, in, in those days, especially, you had people who came to the church mm-hmm. because of the resources the church had mm-hmm. and weren't necessarily believers. Yeah, it's, uh, sometimes we get this um, almost romanticized view of the first century church, like everyone there was this like amazing Christian, mm-hmm. um, and, but then you look around the church today, there's no way that everyone in the church today is, is, is a saved believer right. We we would love to believe that, but we know it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of husbands who begrudgingly come with wives, wives who begrudgingly come with husbands, kids who would just love to be doing anything else other than being here, mm-hmm. um, but they're coming out of obedience. And the same standard applies. Hopefully, as you continue on, Christ will find more of a home in your heart. I know mm-hmm. plenty of kids who spent their entire, uh, you know, um, uh, adolescent life in the church, never actually met Jesus until they got out, out into the world yes. and into their 20s and sometimes 30s, you know, um, it's, it's, it's naive, I think, to, to, for people to believe, uh, especially well-meaning serving Christian parents, Yeah, you know, who have like given their lives to the, to the church, they're doing the right things, just believe, well, they're, of course, they're my kid, of course, they're Christians. Are are they? Because I don't know if that's the way that works, you know. But uh, you know, it's important for us to rem- to remember that there, it's a pr- it, it is a process, and it's not a one and done process.
3: Like, unless you are a thief on the cross.
0: <laughs> yes the 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 man in the middle cross said I could come. That's a that's a great <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, a little little thing. Well, by...
2: salvation follows that rule too. Remember, if you wait till the last minute to do something, only takes a minute. It only takes a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You just gotta really hope that great. that last minute is that's the right minute. Great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 what are we told? I can't remember where it's from, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yep. You know, I mean, that's 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 a message given to believers. Yeah. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, and people think, well, that just sounds like God's mean. No, he's not mean. He's serious.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the standards of this this is not allowed. Not will these people will not enter heaven. Period. He's not kidding. You know. Um, as opposed to, you know, well, you know, um, I know you love me. You, you drink and you cuss a little, but, you know, um, you have some really good jokes. That, that, that's, not, mm-hmm. that's not the standard. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, justification is an event that happened. Sanctification mm-hmm. yes, is a process. A process. God, Jesus made us right with God, but we still have to walk out that that setting
3: apart and that becoming like him. Mm-hmm. So is there any, we know that it, it's not necessarily believing a bunch of facts intellectually, but is there any emotional component to a salvation
0: for a for a first for a believer that hears the message
2: I would hope so, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: I think it would have to be It would be like saying, is there an emotional component involved in marriage mm-hmm. yeah, there is okay
2: yeah, sometimes that emotion is <laughs> uh let's see reticence um you know um bitterness sometimes mm-hmm. like you know not I, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. That that's that's part of of a marriage, and and that's often part of the Christian walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we can honestly look at our own depravity and what Christ suffered to rescue us from it, mm-hmm. without getting emotional, there's something wrong. Yep. You know,
0: at least at least the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes that emotion takes time. I mean, we have, we have, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things talking about going back to the whole marriage idea is that um, a lot of first-century early church marriages were arranged. Mm -hmm. So there was not necessarily an emotional uh, context there. It was an obligation. Like You knew this was the right thing to do for everyone involved, and you just trusted that the emotional connection came later. And and by and large, it did. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't necessarily necessary at the moment you know i think that like like any message any any marriage if the emotional component is there in the beginning it's a whole lot easier mm-hmm. but it's not necessary like i i i don't think you have to love your way into into heaven i i think you can understand your way mm-hmm. you know i i think there's a there's a place for reason there's a place for um for uh, for uh for uh, for, uh, for lack of a better phrase an academic understanding of mm-hmm. the truth of god mm-hmm. um which freaks people out sometimes. You're like, no, no, that's not how it works. But I think there's a place for that. Yeah. Um, but you can still understand God enough to love him. Mm-hmm. You know. But on the other side, you can love God enough to understand him. I, I think it has to work both ways. If you were looking at more traditional
1: uh, uh, churches and stuff, they would push heavily against emotion for the fact that it is to quote a pastor, the most fickle part of our being, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I, I, how many exercise videos get sold and never used because you watched the before and after picture and the infomercial and I'm going to do this. And, and then, yeah, the, the chocolate cake is just better. Yep. And, And so people come to the altar and, and just grieving. I mean, George, you've seen it all the time. Mm-hmm. crying yep. weeping and then two weeks later they're right back to where they were because it was just it was a great sermon it was just your emotional response Yep, exactly. and so that that is the huge push
0: against an emotional Christianity yep. it's kind of like yep. a kind of like a Vegas wedding yeah. you know <laughs> it seemed like such a good thing at the